Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Dyerwald. And I'm Eliana Johnson. Welcome to El Inkstained Retro, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Welcome, welcome. Happy Hanukkah. Thank you. Thank you. We haven't had an episode since Thanksgiving, and we're already on to Hanukkah. It happened um, so fast. But... Are you having a, have you had any latkes? I did have latkes. I actually had latkes with your AEI colleague, Suzanne. Oh, nice. On Sunday, and they were delicious. I mean, the best part was, like, homemade applesauce. I like the fact that Jewish Americans have turned a virtue into— so they're like, okay, we've got to—we're stuck with Hanukkah because we need a Christmas counterpoint, so we're going to we're gonna dress up this minor holiday into something more important. We're going to make it fancier. And you're like, it what are we going to do? It is not and has never been a Christmas counterpoint. Like, Hanukkah is just such a perpetual disappointment. It is a perpetual disappointment, except As for this kid, one thing. The lockers. Frying things yeah. in oil. Using the oil to be like, what about frying potatoes? And uh, that, to that I say, well done, Jews. Thank you. I'm uh, a, how was Thanksgiving? Well, I'm dealing with a little trauma today. <laughs> so my landlord is doing a renovation. And they've been very generous and considerate and talking about making sure it doesn't disturb my work when I'm working from home and all this stuff. It's been really great. So I made arrangements with the contractor because they need access to my apartment yes. in order to do whatever in a couple days. So I did it. Then I wrote it down in my calendar wrong. And I thought it was next week instead of today. Now so they walked in on you doing what? I'm going to I'm going to say something and I don't want anyone to be scarred, but what I was doing <laughs> was making an omelet wearing only slippers and underwear. This is a terrifying visage for no 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 person should ever be subjected to this. And when I say that I panicked, I like freaked and I'm ah! and I feel terrible because I was yelling at them like you cannot come in here what are you doing? And then as soon as the door closed, I went and found my phone and checked. Then you have to send the text that is like, "Hey, super sorry about that." <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry, and and she was the contractor was very understanding, but I was I, I my my pulse is only now lowered. Being she was understanding that you like scarred her employees for life. Well, yes, exactly. Uh, it's watching me with an image as Christine Blasey Ford would have said, seared in the hippocampus. See, the, that image is the, seared. The, those hippocampi will yeah. never be the same <laughs> after watching me make a white a white cheddar omelet. Uh, that sounds good. It was good. Um. All right. I so we didn't do a Thanksgiving episode, so we're we've got like two weeks of material here. Yeah, and we've tried we've I, I think we we've done an admirable job here of of, of carrying forward the things that matter and eliminating the things that don't. But I'm very glad to be with you and away we go. Here we go. All right. Up first on the front page. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. The brother Cuomo, Chris. Yeah. I mean, what a total douchebag. Oh. Uh, the thing that I am. The, what to say? What, we say learned, what it is. Yes. Say what it is. We learned through documents released by the New York yes. Attorney General's office this week that he was more involved in his brother's 
in defending his brother and, and, the, uh, and operating his brother's defense than we knew previously. And specifically, asking his fellow journalists. Well, so this is yeah. what I was going to say. Specifically, he was using his position as a journalist to ferret out information from other journalists about what stories were coming down the pike and when. And I would add, like, given that he works at CNN, like, arguably using network resources to do that yeah. given his like his post there and his stature there i i i don't i guess i will put it this way the uh, soft bigotry of low expectations has applied to me with chris cuomo throughout he is obviously not a bright person he is obviously a goofball and has been throughout the goofball run of ball is a charitable way to put it well i uh, do do you remember the fredo confrontation I, he's living up to his name. Exactly. Well, but the the Fredo confrontation where he declared that calling him Fredo, which is was a slur against a slur Italian against all Americans. Italian Americans, yeah. and you're like, hey, Rosa Parks, settle down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I have observed throughout his career him to be a fundamentally unserious person who I didn't think of as any kind of. I didn't think of him as a journalist any more than I think of Sean Hannity. As a journalist, he's a typical spawn of a famous politician. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, in that these people have issues. But the thing that struck me is this does seem to have been the straw that broke the uh, camel, like the douchebag's back. Oh my I don't know. gosh. All right. My okay. children listen to this podcast. Um, I, your son's like 14. I think he's fine. <laughs> but anyhow, first we learned that after. Doing all these interviews with his brother, yep. the love gov, blah, blah. He got special access to a COVID test. Yep. Uh, then we then he was accused of sexual harassment yep. by his former boss. Then we learned that he counseled his brother through the scandal. And CNN was fine with all of that. But now, now he is suspended indefinitely while they conduct a thorough investigation. I'm not sure, like, I don't know, CNN investigators versus the New York Attorney General's office. I'm not sure what more they think they're going to uncover here to be able to make up their minds. But I cannot imagine that this is he denied doing what he called opposition research for his brother in trying to destroy the accusers, but that he would in any way try to find out information about these women that he did not understand that this was a bright line. Like, so here's uh, the story that, as he gave it, left a person with this clear impression. Yeah, I was counseling my brother, right? And you're like, oh, okay, I understand. It. I was my... doing what a brother does. It was funny that Hannity and Tucker both kind of went to bat for him on that yeah, score, yeah, yeah. And, and, which, which seems to me to miss the point. And when you hear, I, I was sympathetic. If my brother, would, who would never have problems such as these, as a, a decent and great man, would never have these kinds of problems. But if he did, I would say, it's my brother. I have to put my journalism aside, and I have to counsel my brother through this difficult period. That's different than digging up dirt or trying to find these women and trying to find out about what they might do. That is a, crosses a clear line that if he did not understand that, I just don't think that there is. I don't think that if he if he cannot adhere to even that low of a standard for professional conduct, I just don't think this He's is. He's either an idiot or a terrible person or both. Both. Yeah, I was going to say, don't rule out both. <laughs> yes, My, I will, I'm not ruling that out. But, I loved that in the in the AP article about this. The news, you know, AP, the news wire, they had to go to an expert. So they find an expert, Jane Kirtley, at the 
Center for the Study of Media Ethics and Law at the University of Minnesota. Your people. And she tells them that journalists have to understand that they work for the public, not politicians. I'm glad that we had to go to an expert to clear this up. And then she says she urges CNN to address the matter promptly. And this is where she's wrong. She says, you're a news organization. Oh. And act like it's not happening. Oh. I What I wonder is, you know, the, the Brian Stelter phenomenon... I, we this this goes to our mission here. One of the things I like about the dispatch and being part of the dispatch is the dispatch does not do media criticism, period. You're either a news outlet or you're not. And if you are one who's in the mix, so you can have the New York Times with massive resources that can have special reporters that do this. And I'm, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's not a good idea, generally speaking, to be in the news business and in the news criticism business. And I, looking at Brian Stelter through this whole Cuomo ordeal, you're just reminded, this is not a good thing. This is not a good idea because even if Stelter, let's say Stelter wanted to do the right thing. And let's say Stelter wanted to be like an ombudsman for CNN, which obviously is not at all what he does. But let's say he wanted to, to do that and play that role. If, if Even if he could do that, it would not be... I don't even know that it would be useful or, or important for CNN's mission. I think what what's what's useful for CNN is having him go on TV and dump on Fox News. I think that's useful for CNN. Well, that's like chum for the right. chum in the water for the audience. But this is like this is related to that, but it's it's a little bit different. What I have found to be missing in the Cuomo case is, um, of course, Chris Cuomo's actions. They're a media story in that the AP and the New York Times are covering it. But there's like an inside the media story that I think hasn't been covered, which is what are the deliberations at CNN? What have they been and what are they now? Who are his allies at the network? Who's sticking up for him? Who's deciding, you know, if there's a debate, like who's taking what side? And I'm curious to know all of that. And we haven't gotten a real story. I think he is. I mean, how do you judge success? Does it beat the competitors? No, no but, but you know, I think he makes money for them. Does he? Does he beat MS? I guess would be the thing. I don't know what. T- I don't know what time his show's on, but you know, whatever. I don't. I don't know. I think. I guess the idea of having a news network with a primetime lineup, and once you create the primetime space, where it's like the rules don't really apply here. The slopes get very slippery, right? And it, we've seen it at Fox, we've seen it at MS, we've seen it, but the slope gets very slippery. I just can't believe that no one, and we've talked about this before, I think the the deification of Andrew Cuomo, the Cuomo worship of 2020, and the desire to make, make that be true, every day I get a little tickle, or every time I hear about this, I get a little t- thinking about the replace Biden with Andrew Cuomo. Yeah, movement. Ron DeSantis is smiling in the background. Yes, e- exactly. But the mm-hmm. idea of that they let this go on so long and they didn't see the problems here, I guess it's, you know, just desserts. Or, I mean, I think they're seeing the problems and yeah. they're deciding to let them go on, which is what I want the reporting on. Like, what are the calculations here? But anyways, on to our next media outlet riven by factional uh, disputes. The Daily Beast writes that there is drama afoot at Politico. And now this was we've not. talked yeah, about, yeah, yeah. right, yeah, we've talked about 
the purchase of Politico by the German media giant Axel Springer. Axel Springer. Yeah, yeah. Which whose politics are several ticks to the right of the average Politico reporter. But this is not about that. I think we can sum up the Daily Beast story essentially by the woke convulsions mm-hmm. have come for Politico. So basically these are the same experiences that they've had at the Washington Post, Clayton. the New York Times, where young staffers are angry over a lack of wokeness in the story assignments and the way that things are run. And now they're unionized, right? They have unionized. I mean, really, I think we can trace this back to in the guest playbook days at the very beginning of 2021 when Ben Shapiro wrote for them. And that did not go over well with the staff. But the staffers describe woke, quote, woke police around every corner. And so it does seem that there's a, I'm not sure if it's a majority, it's probably not, but a silent minority uh, at Politico voicing dissatisfaction I've got a solution. Felicia Sanmez needs to go from the Washington Post to Politico so that she can become the union. She can disgrace another news outlet. She, she can become she can become the president of the union chapter there. It works it should work out perfectly. What do we have next? My. Oh, okay. All you. Well, no, not all me. My friends and colleagues, uh, Steve Hayes and Jonah Goldberg, announced that they had quit. They'd given up their contributorships at Fox, um, and in this case, the straw that broke the camel's back was the Patriot Purge documentary series uh, that said that American conservatives were being shipped to Guantanamo and that January 6th— Well, the conceit is there's a new war on terror, and it's not— Like, the tools of government are not being used to kill America's enemies abroad. They're being directed at dissenters at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. MAGA types. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it, like, brings the Glenn Greenwald sensibility to the January 6th uh, riot. So um, it was, you know, heinous. It was, uh, and uh, Fox distanced itself from it by saying, well, this was for the Fox Nation. Like, that's weird because your logo's on top of it. But exactly. And, it's, and that, it's your most popular. Right. It's, mo- it's your most popular host. And, okay, well, whatever. So, at one of the things, this was uh, complicated for me, which is, I, when I got, when Fox fired me at the beginning of this year, I got to watch Steve and they did what I got fired. They chose to give up lucrative, high profile positions in order to do this. And it was impressive to me. And I I thought also impressive the fact that they did not wallow in it. They were they did one interview with Ben Smith and they wrote a piece for the dispatch. And that was pretty much it. And I thought that they were also good to not one of the challenges is as i engage in criticism i'm working on a book now when i engage in criticism media criticism when it touches on fox one of the things that i have to be cognizant of is that for 10 years they paid me a salary that i accepted right so every time that paycheck hit my bank account that covered all the stuff that came before because i kept taking the money and we've talked about people at fox gretchen carlson specifically who took the money for all that time? Basically, I don't want, 
extortion is the wrong word, but who coerced a, lavish payments from this company with the knowledge that they were trying to keep her happy and keep her quiet because of what she might say. And then for that person to pretend to be a whistleblower is not, that, that doesn't quite add up. They made the decision to stop taking the money, which gives them the position to talk about it. But I noted with appreciation that they did not then turn and say, actually, now we've rethought it. They did not, uh, they did not Jen Rubin or whatever and suddenly say, I can't believe the scales have fallen from my eyes. I now see that Fox was bad the whole time. Well, a few comments. Chris, mm -hmm. if it had been me, mm -hmm. I would have taken a principled stance. I would have quit when you were fired. My friend. Well, thank you. My colleague. But that's just me. I, I quibble they with did the your. They did the next best thing. They hired me. <laughs> I, I quibble with your characterization of that they went about this very quietly. They just did one media interview. That's like saying they only did 60 minutes. I know. Okay. I know. They did a big New York Times spread and made a statement about it. And they were quoted in basically yeah, yeah. every news article about this. So I think the point, like there was a, and I don't have a, I mean, I'm not, I'm not pro Tucker on the special. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. but the point was to draw attention to themselves and what they were doing, that they were taking a principled stance, to say, like, they were so modest and, you know, whatever about it. I mean, come on. You Like, Ben Smith writes an article about you in the New York Times. There's beautiful photos of you and your, you know, salt and pepper beard. I, I don't buy that. You can't blame Steve for, for having a nice beard. That's not his fault. He so, can't help that. I want to put this question to you because okay. not sure if our listeners know – I quit Fox. I would say the time I quit Fox, it was 2011. So 10 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, not an enormous financial sacrifice on my part. Right. I was paid very little, but I was it was my full-time job. I quit over a sexualized atmosphere at the time. Like I we didn't know about all the Roger stuff. I right, didn't right, know right. about it, but I was like a mid 20 something totally befuddled by what was happening around me and the lack of professionalism and the standards of conduct there. And I remember you telling me, and and I will say, like it was, it was hard because I really liked the job. Yeah, and it was, it was, yeah, that was really hard. But your guidance to me when I, I left was, you know, let within three years, four years was like you landed on your feet. Yeah, you're fine. Keep your mouth shut. Move on. Why do you think it's different? Well, look. I in your and case, I thought it was good advice. I actually, I, I thought it was good advice. In in your case, first of all, um, I'm sorry you had to go through that. And As you said, yeah, I, I'm sorry you had to go landed, through that. I'm, you know, it was all fine. But here, but here, wonderful learning experience, I will say. Right, and here's here's what I know. And if if I I don't want to say that a person who is being actively sexually harassed or is in those kinds of dire straits shouldn't speak out and do whatever. What I am saying is if you come to a conclusion that you've got to go, it's not going, especially as, as you were at that time, a young journalist, it's not going to do you any good to then go out and trash the network after you leave. And I feel the same way about Fox even after they fired me. I didn't quit. I got So if anybody is in, should have a, a license to go out and trash Fox – it would be me, but I don't. I'm not interested in that because I want to be more than that, and I also don't want a future employer to think this is a guy who acts like he's doing fine, and then all of a sudden, 
uh, the, re- removes the mask. In Stephen Jonah's case, because of the mission of the dispatch, right? So this is what makes it challenging. Because of the mission of the dispatch to be fair, to be honest, to be to have integrity in reporting the very lofty ideals that they put forward for the dispatch, there was getting to be too much dissonance between working for Fox and working for the dispatch. Now, as they pointed out, there are people of good character who work at Fox News, who do a good job at Fox News. There is still good reporting that that or there is coverage from Fox that is worthwhile. Um, and I I always mention Bill Hemmer. Uh, just as one example, Bill Hemmer. Hi, hi Bill. And Your pal, Dana. Dana Perino. Cannot say there are good people at Fox without saying Dana Perino. Well, obviously, that speaks for itself. Though, have you heard anything about her getting a dog? Oh, my God. <laughs> Holy crap. I'm not a dog lover, so... So, but Dana, yes, I've seen your puppy, and uh, I mean, I would say it was too much, but the dog is very good looking. I will say that the dog is very good looking. But you could watch Dana and Bill's show. I'm sure there are other examples we could think of. My friend Jillian Turner, but Chris Wallace, Brett Bear. You, you could watch these shows and say this is legitimate enterprise, right? These people are holding themselves to some kind of a standard. But when the network wouldn't deal with something like. Tucker, right? When it's clear that Tucker is out of out of control and uncontrollable and uncontrolled, when all of this stuff is happening, I think that for Jonah and Steve, when you are asked, so the Dispatch, and you're now a Dispatch subscriber. I, thanks to you, thank uh-huh. you. Happy Hanukkah. Very much. The how am I going to match that with? Uh, uh, you know what? I hope it's free beacon swag. I was going to say, like. We have free Beacon swag coming because our 10th anniversary is coming. So you will get a shirt with my mug plastered on that's all the front I'm, that's, of it. That's all anybody wants. That's all the kids are talking about. But for them, they're asking people to pay $100 a year to be a dispatch member to be part of a movement. And how can they reconcile? It, it, would, be, it would be like if C. Everett Coop was also working for Philip Morris, right? He's like, I'm telling you to stop smoking. But at the same time, the delicious taste of Marlboro's satisfies in the morning with a cup of coffee. So I understand why they had to do it. And I think their situation was different than yours, different than mine. And I acknowledge that they did obtain positive publicity for it. But I don't think what what I admire about it was there was some humility in it and it was not undertaken as a a road to Damascus moment where they suddenly changed who they were. They they did it in, in that kind of a matter-of-fact way, and I admire it. Well, I'm still the same nasty woman that I was when I worked at Fox. Shh. Still. You are, uh. you are, you are, you, you, the world, the world needs more nasty women like okay. you. Okay, next up we have, Chris, I was so struck, there's been 10,000 articles about the crime spike because it's happening in every dang city. 200 murders in Washington, uh, D.C. And what we heard not two months ago in September, this is when the FBI released data on 2020 crime statistics, was that things were not as bad as they were in the 90s, which was like the nadir of, you know, violent or the apex, the nadir, whatever however the, you want to look at it, the, the, the apex the period, of violent crime and crack lawlessness. Yeah, so yeah. The, the crack wars, there was where I live now, where I can be found cooking omelets in my underwear, was an intersection that 25 years ago, I would not have lived there by a long shot. Capitol Hill and Washington, D.C. was gangland. Uh, the intersection of 8th Street and H, which is now 
hipster. Guys, if you want to like go steal, if you want to go see Chris standing in his underwear making an omelet, you know where to go now. You know, you always feel almost more naked to have one article of clothing on. It almost feels like you're 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 more exposed. But anyway, the at Eighth and Eights, which is now hipster nonsense, right? I assume there's an artisanal mayonnaise shop there across the street from a beard oil emporium. Uh, beard oil was once the they used to call it the intersection of crack and cocaine and like a male like. You know, face scrub. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Pumice. Loaded with pumice. <laughs> and in uh, those days, they called it the intersection of crack and cocaine. Terrible murders, violence, like awful. And now it's hipster nonsense. So, so, yes. so the New York Times in September, I'm quoting from a piece. Overall, the toll of some 21,500 people killed last year is still well below the record set during the violence of the early 1990s. The Wall Street Journal in September, because this was all coverage around the FBI statistics, the rate of 6.5 homicides per 100,000 residents is the highest since 1997, but still below historic highs of the early 1990s. So fast forward, and now it's like every city has surpassed the numbers, the, the record set in the 90s. Well. But the, well, I can list some of the cities. Louisville, Cincinnati, Columbus, Baltimore, Trenton. Indianapolis, et Wait, cetera. Wait, Baltimore has more murders than it did in the early 90s? I'm just pulling up this piece. Yeah. On Well, so it says the headline of the Baltimore Sun, um, and it's behind a paywall here, so give me one second. Baltimore County homicide setting pace for deadliest year on record. That's crazy because that in D.C., if D.C. were to match the numbers of those days, this is so DC is on track for I think 700 homicides or 200 homicides this year. In those days, in the peak moment, I think uh, 91 was like 750. It was more than 700 a year for several years. So if Baltimore is back in those peak days, that's terrifying. I just find it. I find the coverage of this interesting. So first, they're trying to say it's not that bad. It really trust us. Now it is that bad. So the New York Times writes on November 15th, uh, it is that bad, but we can't explain why. So they say in dozens of interviews, criminologists, city and state officials and people close to murder victims could not name a single direct cause of the spike in homicides and said that it could take years of data collection before the phenomenon is fully understood. Do you think it's evident? Uh, I don't. But what I find what I find hilarious is that there are some theories of the case. And if I were writing the article, it would be. Some argue it is X, quote right. the expert. Others say that theory is right. So it's the pandemic that's it driven. But theirs. I think they cannot even like entertain. They have to walk on eggshells around the idea that the attacks on police and the rioting in the streets and the general the atmosphere Ferguson of lawlessness, lawlessness has contributed to this. If cops pull back and lawless, the lawlessness that we saw of the summer of 2020. Send cues. Excuse me while I open my Diet Coke. Another cold beer for the yeah. pregnant lady. I wish. Um, oh, my God. So broken window. There's a, There's been a lot said about broken windows theory and all of those, all, all that stuff. And I understand that the, the criticisms of it are, and as we sit here at AEI, the criticisms of it uh, ha, do have some merit. And I'm I get it. Or at least in its uh, the simplified story that was told about Rudy Giuliani in New York and da-da-da-da-da. Comma. However, there's no way that you can say that an atmosphere where general lawlessness is allowed for even any period of time and in which the police, even the metropolitan police of the District of Columbia, who are 
I don't know what the racial breakdown, racial and ethnic breakdowns of the MPD are, but this is this is not a white dominated police department. And that the the calling these people villains and doing all this stuff has to it has to be part. So I would say I it's not monocausal, but you're right. If you're talking about this issue, what are the things you have to talk about? How has the pandemic and the lockdowns and those things affected because there's lots of crazy people are crazy, crazy, crazy these days. Go drive anywhere or go, tra- as you know, you travel anywhere and you're like, what is wrong with you people? Um, hopped up on goofballs. And that has to be part of the discussion. But of course, it has to be part of the discussion of how does it what happens when police pull back and bad guys step forward and are generally demoralized yep. because they're demonized by society at large, like these public service Careers are things people go into because there's a sense of contributing to yes. you know, societal well So uh, you're going to have to watch. I do. Control. I mean, to get back like directly to the media part of it, it's this results in like a withholding of, of important information from the public or at least an important idea that readers could then ponder and make up their own minds about. While Chris takes a text, I'm I will updating my parking to our, to our next uh, piece, which is. Chris, the New York Times, this is like, you know, it would be so fun to be on this desk at the New York Times because of the hilarious stories idea, story <laughs> ideas that must come flying across the, tran- the transom. Um, so this is saving history with sandbags. Climate change threatens the Smithsonian. I know. And it's all about I basically know. how because of climate change, I'm quoting from the piece, the Smithsonian stands out for another reason. Its cherished buildings are extremely vulnerable to flooding and some could eventually be underwater. So for those who don't know, the Smithsonian is like smack dab in the middle of Washington, D.C. And I was saying to Chris before the show, like uh, if the Smithsonian is underwater, uh, for D.C. residents, the fact that we're losing cherished artifacts is going to be the least of well, our also, problems. By that point, the White House will be yeah, fully totally. underwater. The White <laughs> House will be ab- fully submerged. I think we will. And, and this gets to a lot of the crisis style coverage with climate change. Americans have broadly come to a consensus that anthropomorphogenic climate change is real. And even conservatives now say, yes, something, it's it's happening. The debate is over what ought to be done, if anything, right? What are the, what are the things that should be done? What are the debates that are And happening? are the costs worth the benefits? Right. What are the trade-offs? What, what are the economic trade-offs? Da, 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 da. Fine. Like, but, climate change is coming, but do you want to ride your bike to work? Climate well, climate change is coming, but do should the Smithsonian Museum have a special unit devoted to how they're going to protect their artifacts, given the changes that are coming with climate change? Like a lot of these other permanent crises, it's also a business, it's also an industry, and it's also a if you put people on a beat, <laughs> right? So I'm sure that in their in their uh, public utterances. The editors of the New York Times and the Washington Post and other places say, we're devoting all of these resources to climate change. Look at how much we care about it. Well, if you have 12 people sitting around, they're going to have to think up stories to uh, validate their existence. And eventually they're going to have to scrape down to what will happen to Fonzie's jacket if global temperatures raise two points over the next 20 years. Finally. Finally. This is probably – oh. Oh, our most fun the item greatest of the, day, the greatest story ever is, written which is let me contextualize it 
the Free Beacon, our most read story of 2021, um, you know, year's not over, I'm going to leave room for somebody to surpass it, but I kind of doubt it, was about Yale Law School oh. and the, diver- the diversity administrators there. So if you're if you're an enterprising reporter on the Yale Daily News, which is, you know, it's a college newspaper with a good reputation, you'd think you'd be all over this story. Okay. Um, they have broken very little news on this story. However, at the same time, the Yale let, Daily News came out. Let me have it. With I want the this. following. I want to. Re- I just want to get the headline exactly as it was. I'm, I have it right Students up in front of me. struggle with winter's diminishing daylight. I pulled out my favorite quote from the piece, but it's basically about the oppression of daylight savings time. Uh, Yakeline Almanzan wrote this piece where it, it, I, the, the, the best part. He she talks to Jaden Gonzalez. That's my favorite quote. Twenty uh, class of twenty five. He said that even after living in New York his whole life, he finds the whole concept of daylight savings to be confusing. Again, attending Yale, uh, he finds the concept to be confusing and said he felt quote victimized by its occurrence. Quote, personally, I respond really well to daytime, Gonzalez said. I know nothing about the occurrence and why it happens. Have you? <laughs> look, what are they? How do they work? But I know that I genuinely have worse days because I cannot enjoy the sun as much as I normally could. Imagine being one of the, this is the best, Angel Lopez, twenty-five, uh, class of 25, expressed his concerns about the toil it will take on the student body's mental health and his own. Being from the West Coast. Being from the West Coast. I mean, it, it double victimized. So the uh, writer talks to <laughs> the Yale Mental Health and Counseling Can you office. even imagine the issues that they see coming across? The, oh, the, the, it's, it's, it the is a, a blizzard of snowflakes just pouring through, just pouring through. I'm trying to imagine at my alma mater, Hamden Sydney College, if somebody came in okay. and be like, Try, have you tried bourbon? I don't know. The so, solution. The solution, yeah, go. Yes, yes. So the solution, they talk. So Paul Hoffman of the uh, Mental Health Center. So I said, you know, when they stay up late and sleep in, they lose valuable daylight time, making them more susceptible to seasonal mood problems. <laughs> I would suggest they make an effort to be outside as much as possible during the winter when the sun is out. Another option It is means getting up before noon. Light therapy lamps that can mimic sunlight, blah, 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 blah. Here's the kicker. She says, she writes, it will be difficult for students. Wait, to you in- forgot. Students should seek medical advice before using a light therapy, therapy lamp. lamp. So, so, so the writer says, I'm quoting her now, it will be difficult for students to implement this into their lives, Hoffman said, because of the shift in their routine. He explained that one of the biggest challenges for students around daylight savings time is related to how students' schedules shift to later in the day especially on weekends. <laughs> the struggle dun, dun, is real. Dun, the struggle dun, is dun, real. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, so kudos to you. Uh, <laughs> Yac- that honestly could have been an onion story. Jacqueline, Yac- I'll kudos to you. You have written the greatest story uh, ever uh, to be committed by a student journalist. Kudos. Could literally have been an onion story. Chris, the struggle is believe real. it or not, believe it or not, that was not either of our obsessions, but it is now time for our obsessions. <laughs> where we break down these stories that we couldn't get out of our heads. Chris, 
you are up first. Okay, so we've talked about it a little bit before, I hope. I don't know. I can't remember. But Dave Portnoy, who is the founder of Barstool Sports. Like, okay, for any women listening, please tell us who Okay, so <laughs> I, I, I was going to. So Barstool, I forget how much it sold. This uh, there's a, a very in-depth and pretty good piece in New York Magazine, the Dave Portnoy Playbook. So he made a astonishing amount of money by a bro-tastical, the, the most bro-y possible setting. So it's a sports, ostensibly it was a sport is, a sports-oriented website, but it's a, it's a bro-lifestyle website is really what it is. And he sold them the the business the the whole site sold for a hundred and sixty three million dollars. That's a lot. So it was he he very successfully tapped into. I will say if you can say what you said earlier to describe Chris Cuomo, I will say, dumb. I I will say dumbass. He he uh, he channeled an enthusiastic kind of jock dumbassery that was. Sex positive, to say the least, and was very sexualized and hotties and all that kind of stuff. So it was this, it was a culture, it was a sports, it was under a sports premise, but it was a, a culture and is a cultural publication for dudes. Yeah, and I think I think it's part of a wave of media outlets gaining traction because the mainstream is so obviously left where people are the outlets that are popular are people are going to outlets that align with their values their tastes their sensibilities and so for like you know the the dude on the couch watching football with like his hand in his pants that he's going to portnoy and basically this talks about how and i think this is uh very interesting this is a new york magazine piece right and we'll put it in the show notes but portnoy when he was accused business insider wrote up a do i will i will say thinly source yes a dubious hit piece on him uh, uh, accusing him of not sexual misconduct per se but of creepiness and general grossness and it was basically it, it, it it suggested that he behaved in an inappropriate way with two women who were very young but were of legal age. Yes. Uh, no one would want their daughter to date Dave Portnoy. No one would want their sister to be around Dave mm, Portnoy. He's pretty rich. Oh, Eliana, <laughs> you're having a daughter. No. So Dave Portnoy is- uh, I'm going to tell my daughter, find the richest guy out there. Find a good man. Find Idiot. a man as good as her father. Just like my husband. That's right. Find a man as good totally. as her father. But the, the 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 struggle here is that Portnoy, one of the greatest genius things that Barack Obama ever did, he inoculated himself against the inevitable accusations that would come at him about drug use, uh, his sex life, being a campus radical at Columbia, all of the stuff that Obama was going to get dinged for as his political career advanced, he wrote it himself. He put it in a book, right? And he said, yeah, this is what I did. And yeah, I did cocaine. And yeah, sexual partners. And yeah, 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 yeah. And he did it all so that when it was time to run for president, it was like, yeah, I wrote it in a book, asked and answered, bro. Portnoy is had, has done basically the same thing by being out in advance and saying, like, I'm a gross guy. I'm a gross person, and this is how I like to get down. When the accusations came, it was like, well, yeah, that's what he said he was. He said he was a gross guy. And what the this piece in New York Magazine like points out— Like young girls who wear short skirts. Right. Uh, the, the piece, and I think as a media business strategy, 
these accusations end up helping Portnoy. Agree. Because it allows him to take Tucker Carlsonian, and he is, by the way, a, a frequent, he is a, 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 the, the Tucker Carlson show is a fan of his, and he is a Well, there's a similar dynamic with tr- Trump, too, where they right. can say, look, these guys hate me. They're coming after me. Um, these things are thinly sourced, and uh, they don't like me. The value of victim status on the right. So the the right media, the right uh, politically in the United States, used to, to be against victimhood and victim status. But as Portnoy is demonstrating— this his the victimization gives him more standing and status with the Joe Roganite Tucker Carlsonian set of these cultural populists on the right, and he will turn this into more money. This will this will result in more success for him. Cannot disagree. All right, Chris, my obsession is a parallel to our discussion about the source of rising crime rates, which Word. is the media coverage of the emergence of the Omicron variant of coronavirus. I got to pop one open for you. Please do. Okay. Please there you do. Go. You know, it's going to be really fun after this when we can like do a ink stain happy hour or something and <laughs> I'll actually partake in that. Like, it'd be like, the saltiness is real. The saltiness is real. Oh, it'll be so good. Okay. So the media coverage of Omicron, again, like the media wants the cause of Omicron to be the fact that the New York Times and the Washington Post both had different versions of this, that Western countries, particularly the U.S., are hoarding vaccines. And so there's just nothing left for these poor people in Africa. I Googled or not Googled. I went into our like TV. We have a service, the Pulse TV clips. Uh, you can get returns on various phrases. There have been 2,000 400 mentions of Omicron as of yesterday evening versus 159 mentions of Omicron and vaccine hesitancy together. So it is just not true that the variant is emerging, COVID is raging in South Africa and the rest of the African continent because uh, there's a shortage of vaccines. Reuters reported that the vaccine rollout program was slowed initially was slowed by insufficient doses now deliveries have been delayed due to oversupply they are turning away vaccine and then the world the world bank says that religious beliefs in africa have informed vaccine acceptance close to 90 percent of individuals surveyed in niger and liberia said the prayer was more effective than the vaccine a recent geopoll survey in six african countries showed religious beliefs as key determinants of hesitancy and what i find so interesting is like again this will be mentioned in passing, but there's a real reluctance to talk about it. And I find the contrast with the way that the media has talked about vaccine hesitance, hesitant Americans so striking. Yep. Like open season on vaccine hesitant Americans. Well, now that now that the partisan split has been rectified, the first of all, I want to uh, shout out uh, David Le- David Leonhardt. Uh, oh, right. From the Times who actually today wrote about dear uh, anti-Western outrage generators. This is more about, and he did it in a very gingerly way, but this is more about African vaccine hesitancy than, and, and he points to, and I thought this was very good, all of the unused vaccines that are sitting around. There are a lot of reasons why Africa has trouble with vaccines. There are a lot of reasons that relate to the reasons that 
Africa struggles with other things. Yeah, I mean, political corruption. Us, I was going to say, some of us are old enough to remember when the South African president, Dabo Mbeki, I mean, he cost tens of thousands of lives because he was trying to deter uh, South Africans from taking antiretroviral AIDS medicine. Yes. So this is not exactly a political, country political corruption where instability. Uh, they lead with the science or they follow the science. Yes, always a- and in part because of corrupt political leaders. The uh, but my my thing for the the Omicron overall number one vaccine hesitancy attacking vaccine hesitancy in the United States is easier now. Because it's so Republican. Because if you track, Kaiser Family Foundation does great work on this. If you track the percentages of American ethnic groups uh, and vaccines, black Americans were a huge part of the holdouts in the summertime, right? And they they lagged whites and Asians are killing it, right? Yet again, Asians nailing it and are vaccinated at very uh, the highest rates of all. But they uh, black Americans were trailing their white counterparts by 20 points or so back then. Now the gap is much smaller. And when you look at who's not vaccinated in the United States, it's like 66 percent Republican. And so now that that internal one of the reasons that Democrats failed to respond to the Delta variant correctly, which is to say, get your shots, dummies, go get your, go get your shots. The reason that they did shutdowns and reimposed re- all those other things was they still had a significant block of their own voters who were not on board. And that so now that that's changed, hopefully Democrats will be able to be more humane in dealing. Democrats in leadership position will be more humane now. But here's the, the thing in the coverage that makes me the craziest. These mutations, be they Delta or Omicron, are less deadly. Now, we're still finding out a lot about Omicron, but here's what we know. Scott Gottlieb, peace be upon him. All praise to Scott Gottlieb, who called it right, called it right early, and has been consistent on this. This virus will mutate, mutate, mutate. It will become more contagious, and it will become less deadly. So I welcome the variants. Unfortunately, the coverage, and I think there is a huge addiction to coronavirus coverage because it, it, much like Donald Trump, it just makes things a lot easier for news outlets. What are we talking about? We're talking about the end of the world. Every day we're talking about the end of the world. So they don't, it's, it, whether it's conscious or not, nobody wants to come forward and be like, eh, Omicron, Schmomicron, it'll probably be okay. Get your shots. So there had the the failure, to, just as was the case with Delta, the failure to talk about the good the good side of the mutation, which is the lower mortality, is is often overlooked in the name of sensationalizing this coverage. Well, I'm glad we each had peeves that were completely different on the yeah. flawed nature of this coverage. Um, Chris, it is your favorite time of the week. <laughs> where I am forced to say something nice, but as always, you will lead by example. But this week, I like it because we are changing roles. Normally, you're, you're, the thing that nice thing that you say is actually mean. It's sneaky. This time, mine is sneaky mean. No, it's actually nice. Well, it is It is, it is for a headline written by, who? do we know who? Andrew Stiles. Andrew Stiles at the Washington Free Beacon. One of, one of your kinsmen had this headline on their Cuomo story. This is CNN. 
quote, thorough review, thorough review to decide if helping brothers smear harassment victims worse than public masturbation. And with a nod to the Jeffrey Tubin incident. And I got to say, it made me laugh out loud. So to Andrew Styles, also made me laugh out loud. To Andrew Styles, it's Styles, you were very talented. That was funny. My favorite item, uh, this brings us full circle. We go back to where we started. Is Eric Wemple's piece in the Washington Post on Cuomo, which is, and I just want to make sure I get it exactly right. It is CNN's Chris Cuomo scandal is Jeff Zucker's scandal too. And yes, as you said about Jonah and Steve, your colleagues and Fox, this is a story about Fox. Well, the CNN Cuomo thing, this is now a story about CNN and what's going on in CNN. And I like that. So thank you, Wemple. That is all the time we have left for the news about the news. If you have a story that you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches. 